This is not just a sanctified man. This is not just a godly man. This is not just a wise man. This is an apostle who was given direct revelation from the Lord, and that revelation carried the full authority of the giver who was the Spirit of Christ. So let's think for just a minute about what it takes to be an apostle. What it takes to be an apostle, we know, was that Jesus chose you, that you were one of the twelve. We know that. But Scripture also tells us of some requirements, some some common requirements that all the the apostles possessed. And it's important, or it's at least helpful for us to see those and understand those. First of all, the apostles whom Jesus chose, they must all see Jesus and they must all receive direct revelation from Jesus. So Acts chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, the context here is, remember, Judas is no more. And the Spirit leads the 11 to choose a replacement for the 12th, choose another one. And so in the choosing of the replacement for Judas, we see the apostles, the other 11, wrestling through the requirements of what it meant to be one of them so that they would know for sure that the one they're choosing, or at least the the ones they're putting forth to be chosen by the Spirit, also possess those same requirements. And so one of them was that they must see Jesus and be the recipient of direct revelation from Him. From verse 22 and 23, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when He was taken up from us, that was what the, the apostle had to be, one of these men must become with us a witness to His resurrection. You can only be a witness to His resurrection if you've seen Jesus. And they put forward the two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. So they put those put to those, those two forth who met the requirement of seeing Jesus, receiving direct revelation from Him. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1, Paul says this, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? So he asked the question, well, how does Paul come into this? Paul never met Jesus before his crucifixion. Paul says, yes, I've seen the Lord. He came to me. I've seen him. He has revealed himself to me. Or in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, but when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. So Paul has not only seen Jesus, but he's also received direct revelation from him. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Here's what Paul says there. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. And that's where he mentions this thorn in the flesh. So Paul saw Jesus. He was a witness of the resurrected Jesus. And he was a recipient of direct revelation from Jesus. Well, that'll come into play a little bit more in just a minute. So number two, we also see that the apostle must possess special miracle working powers for the purpose of authenticating their message. In the sermon at Pentecost, Peter makes mention of the fact that God attested to Jesus by performing signs and wonders through him. In the same way, we see throughout the Acts story that God also performs signs and wonders through the apostles to authenticate their message as well. So, The story of the Acts 
has, particularly the first half of the story of Acts, has a lot of miracles taking place. Occasionally those miracles take place at the hands of somebody other than than an apostle, but that's rare. By and large, far and away, the miracles in the book of Acts are performed at the hands of the apostles. We see a couple of instances here in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 5 that you can read for yourself there. So these, these miracles are performed at their, by their hand in order to authenticate their message, particularly the first half of the book of Acts when the church was really beginning and when the authority of the apostles needed to be firmly entrenched. It's interesting to see how the miraculous activity sharply fades right about halfway through the book of Acts. And by the time we reach the end of the book of Acts, There are no more miracles. But the first half of the book is full of miracles. Likewise, we think of Paul when he was spending his nearly three years there in Ephesus. Remember, God was working so powerfully through him that literally you could take one of his handkerchiefs and somebody might be healed. or You could take his his leather-working apron and a demon would be cast out. So they must possess this this miracle-working power for the purpose of authenticating their message. Thirdly, they must have the Spirit given them in a special way so that they might proclaim truth in a definitive manner. They must have the Spirit given in a special way that they might proclaim truth in a definitive manner. I don't think I really phrased that strongly enough. So let me see if I can strengthen that a little bit. They must be given the Spirit in a special way so that they can declare the truth in a particularly clear, definitive, and authoritative manner. So the apostles were the proclaimers of the truth of God in a way that was authoritative. Look at Jesus' words in John 14. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, please, don't think that Jesus is talking to you when He said that. I've I've heard Christians understand it that way uh, often, that the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. Now, there is a sense in which that also has, has a thread of application for all believers, because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, and He leads us into truth. But Jesus clearly wasn't talking to us. He says... These things I said while I was with you. Now, Jesus wasn't with us, at least not like he was with the apostles. He's speaking to his apostles here. And he's saying to his apostles, my spirit will lead you into all truth so that you will then be the purveyors of that truth in a way that, remember, the root of the word carries the same authority as me. Let's keep going as we look in 1 Corinthians 14, at the unique authority of their office. 1 Corinthians 14, if anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If he doesn't recognize this, he's not recognized. So notice the, the parallel, the connection that Paul says there. If you want to be recognized, then you recognize the authority of what I write to you. I write to you with equal authority of the Lord Jesus. Now, I didn't put this in your notes, but if you want to just flip over to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 12, 
Let me just show you something really remarkable in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 12. You may have missed this as you read through 1 Corinthians, but let's, let's make note of what Paul says here in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 12, he says, to the rest of you, I say, he's, he's in this section where he's given these instructions about marital relationships and who should marry and who should not marry and these sorts of things. He says, to the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. So he just sort of makes this statement about a uh, brother, a believing man who has a wife who's an unbeliever, and he's saying, well, don't divorce your unbelieving spouse. But notice what he says. He says, to the rest, I say, I, not the Lord. And in my ESV edition, it's, that's parenthesized to sort of let me know it's, that's a parenthetical statement. Now, here's what Paul doesn't mean right there. He didn't mean, Jesus never talked about this, but here's what I think. If you want to know what Paul thinks, let me just give you my opinion. My opinion is don't, don't divorce your unbelieving spouse. That's not what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying is Jesus never addressed this, but here's what Jesus says even though he never said it. What I am saying to you carries the full authority as if Jesus spoke it and it were written in red letters in your Bible. Even though Jesus never addressed that topic, or at least it's not written for us in the Gospels, Paul says, I say this with the full authority of the Lord. Look at Second, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a word of men, but what is it? what it really is, the word of God. So Paul says, I praise God. I thank God that when I wrote to you, you received that as what it really is, which is the word of God. Look at what Peter says in 2 Peter 3, verse 15 and 16. Just as our brother, our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in, uh, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, true? Which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction. And notice this phrase, as they do the other scriptures. He just sort of throws that in at the end. You know, Paul writes some things and sometimes Paul can be hard to follow. Sometimes he can be hard to understand. And some people take the things that Paul say and they twist them like they do the other scriptures. If you notice what he said there, he just made a direct correlation between what Paul writes and the other scriptures. Now, if we were to really dig into that passage and look at the word that Peter used, he used the word graphe, and that word, there is a distinct connection with that between that word and what Peter is calling the other scriptures, which he's not talking about the rest of the New Testament. What Peter's talking about is the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. So Peter just said by that one little phrase, what Paul writes to you is in this exact same category as our Torah. Wow. Second Thessalonians 3 verse 14, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person, have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.15, so then brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us. 
Even the traditions that the apostles taught the churches are authoritative. Which is one reason that we study our Bibles and when we see a tradition that was a tradition in the early church, we take that as authoritative to inform us of what our worship tradition should be. When we see the early church doing something, then we should take that to be as an authoritative example for how we are to go about our worship. So not, e- not just their words, but even their traditions that they thought, that they taught were authoritative. So here we have this, this well-established authority of the apostles. They, they were the recipients not only of just seeing Jesus and being with Jesus, but receiving this direct revelation and receiving this miraculous power that authenticated their words, but also they were given the authority to speak with the same authority as the Lord Jesus, which now that makes it important for us to recognize if there are these apostles that carry the same authority as Jesus, then the question then becomes, well, are there any more apostles? Because if these apostles are speaking with such authority and writing with such such authority, it's important for us to know exactly who does and who does not have such an authority. So that's where the scriptures show us that that God never, in any of the scriptures, never gives us any indication that he ever intended for any sort of succession in the office of apostle. This is the only office of the church that is such a way. We think of the office of the elder when, when God gives us instructions of this is how elders succeed elders. This is how uh, elders are raised up and the church affirms other elders. The same thing with, with deacons, how the, the, uh, the church uh, has other deacons that are raised up and affirm and whatnot. So there is provision there for the succession of those in the office, not so with the office of apostle. Because again, think of the requirements to see Jesus, to be a witness of his resurrection, to receive miraculous working power to authenticate your message and to receive direct authoritative revelation. This should be, this should be something that we as believers remind ourselves of regularly because here is something, I know you hear the same thing. Here's something that I've heard my whole life. God told me. God told me blank. Now that's something to be really, really careful about. Because if what God told you is something that He's already told us in His Word, and what He's told you is some application of what He's already given to us, then that is a very valid activity of the Spirit that should be in place in every believer's life. But if what God told you is some fact or some premonition or some teaching that builds upon and adds to the Scriptures, then now we're in the realm of a succession of apostles, which the Scriptures don't teach. So, There is no succession of apostolic authority. We see this in a few places such as Revelation 21 verse 14. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the apostles of the Lamb. Similar thing we see in Luke 22 verse 29 and 30. Another similar thing we see if we look down to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So when we get there, we'll, we'll look at the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And we won't talk about the prophets now, but we see the foundation of the apostles, right? So that's a foundation. You don't add to a foundation. You build upon a foundation. You can add to the structure, which is God, that's what God is doing as He's building His house, but you don't add to the foundation. The foundation is the apostles. Revelation 21, the New Jerusalem, which is a picture of the church that's coming down out of heaven. That is upon the foundation of the apostles. So there is no apostolic succession. There are no apostles today in the sense of the office of the word. If you want to use the word more broadly, more generally, just to, just to speak of one who is sent with a message and even a, an authoritative message, then you can use the word that way in the sense that, for, for example, I'm speaking right now with the authority of God. But my authority is only to the extent that what I teach and preach is in accordance with what is already given. As I explain or expound upon or apply what God has given to us, I do so with the full authority of God, but that authority goes no further. Wasn't the case with Paul or Peter or any of the other twelve. Okay, So that is the office of apostolic authority. Now, as we see that and we sort of remind ourselves of just what this meant to be an apostle, one of the twelve, what a awe-inspiring thing. As Paul is about to begin saying some things to us, it is helpful to remind ourselves this is not just a holy person. This is not just a sanctified man. This is not just a godly man. This is not just a wise man. This is an apostle who was given direct revelation from the Lord and that revelation carried the full authority of the giver who was the Spirit of Christ. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.